Hi, good morning, fellas. You can have a seat. So my wife and I were gifted a honeymoon right after our marriage, and we went to this all-inclusive resort down in Mexico, which had everything we needed. You don't have to leave the resort. Everything's there. And what they do is they also sell excursions. It's a way that they can, you know, get a little extra money. And so I was like, we don't need a thing. But my wife was like, let's go check it out. And so we, we go, and it's the typical stuff, swim with the dolphins, uh, scuba diving, snorkeling excursion. And I was like, you know, pass on all that. But there was one that she kind of paused on and looked at that was a sunset catamaran cruise with dinner. And, and to be honest, I was like, I mean, that does sound incredible. That, that sounds, I mean, this is great, but that sounds amazing. And so we book it and spend extra money. And uh, at this point in time, I was coming out of school, didn't have a lot. So, you know, for us to do this was a, was a big choice. And so they said, great, meet in the lobby at 10 a.m. And I was like, lobby? Why not meet at the beachfront for the catamaran cruise? But they go to the lobby. So we pack our little bag of what they say to bring. We go to the lobby, and there's this, like, unmarked cargo van that we get into. And we're the only ones in it. And it drives us through, like, this really bad part of town to, like, this fishing wharf. I was like, this is, this is already like totally not what I expected, but I bet it's going to be amazing. And we get out, and then all these other little shuttles pull up with people that we don't know. They aren't from our resort. Our resort was like couples only, honeymooners, people you wanted to have dinner with and be around. Now it's like just kind of this grab bag of people from all over uh, getting out, and everybody's in line and frustrated, and it's hot. And then sure enough, here comes this catamaran that pulls up to this old dock, and these guys are helping people on to this, you know, kind of the net between with two, two of the boats or the uh, catamaran, what are those called? Rafts. So we're sitting on the net in between um, with all these people. And it's like, okay, this, this isn't going to be bad. We, we start to back out, not 30 feet from the dock, this horrible, like Mexican rave music through treble speakers, like just screaming in our ears. And it's like, this is not a romantic catamaran cruise. But it gets worse because then these overweight, hadn't showered in three week dudes with luchador masks. Do you know what that is? That's like the colorful wrestling masks uh, come running out. And I'm like, we just got hijacked. They're pirates and they're going to take us to Cuba and sell us into slavery. And they're carrying two-liter bottles, like old, crunched-up two-liter bottles full of this, like, food-coloring concoction with spouts on the top, shooting it into people's mouths, shaking their heads around, and throwing them to the music. They're doing shots. It's a booze cruise. I'm an alcoholic. Like, seven years sober at this point, I'm like, what is going on? Not a romantic catamaran cruise. They take us to an island that looks like it's been hit by a hurricane. They hand us a little voucher, and I'm like, what's this for? To get back on the boat? And they're like, no, that's for your dinner. I'm like, I thought the dinner was on the catamaran cruise at sunset. So we go to this dinner, and I'm like, sweetheart, I've served in prison ministry before. This is worse than prison food. (laughs) And this was your idea. So we get back on the boat. We get back on the boat, here come the luchadors again with their masks and their shots and they're like, you know, trying to get us to take them. I'm like, I don't want whatever's in that bottle, even though I would want it normally, I don't. And uh, people start chumming the water, if you know what I mean. They're throwing up. They've had so many of these shots from the Mexican wrestlers that they're now throwing up and it's like, this is, 
This is the worst use of money. We could have had a whole day, and it was through sunset, 10 a.m. till sunset, when we had a fully paid for day at an all-inclusive resort, like I don't know how many stars, but it was nice, and yet we chose this train wreck event for one of our like six days on our honeymoon. I mean, it was a mess. And the reason why I tell you that story is because I think often, this is how my day felt yesterday, it's how life feels, where you're like, is this a joke? Am I being pranked or punked? Like, these circumstances are not what I signed up for, for cancer or illness or a trip to the ER, which was yesterday for us, or financial trouble or some, your AC breaks at the house or a mess at work projects getting heaped on you because they downsize or who knows what, but it's like, I didn't sign up for these circumstances. This is not what I enlisted for. And beyond that, you've got kind of the Mexican luchadors in the mask. We're like, are you serious right now? The the crazy cast that has surrounded you, whether it's your in-laws or your boss or your coworkers or your neighbors or even people under your own household, your roommates, your community group, I don't know who, but you're like, how did I get in this circumstance with these people? I don't want to be here. And yet, like Laura and I on that boat, you can't go anywhere. Like, that's just kind of, you're just stuck. It's your lot in life for that season. You're like, I guess I'm just kind of on this boat with these crazy people. And I've just got to do the best I can. And that's what life feels like a lot. And that's what Solomon talks about in this passage of Ecclesiastes 8 through 9.1. It's what we're going to cover today because God gives us the answer. He's not oblivious to it. He's like, I know you're in crazy circumstances under someone's authority that you probably don't want to be. And there's wickedness all around you. And God's going to give us an answer. So we're going to talk about uh, the authority that man is under, the motive of man, And then we're going to talk about the message of man. So on the first slide here, the authority of man. Solomon's going to give us three authorities of man. It's God's authority, man's authority, and sin's authority. So verse one, who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. This verse is man under God's authority. Wisdom in the Hebrew is hokmah. It means skilled living. It means living according to this word, which is God's will, which is his way, which leads to life and peace. And Solomon says, if you live according to the wisdom of God, it will make your face shine. You will be radiant and it will change the hardness of your face into gentleness and peacefulness. I was, uh, you know, like I've said, an alcoholic. I was probably two years sober, and I was at a wedding down in Austin where I used to live, and I ran into this guy and his wife who I used to get wasted with, smoke weed with. Uh, We just partied seven days a week together, and they hadn't seen me in two years, and they walked up, and they're like, John, what are you doing? And I thought they meant, why did you leave Austin? I'm like, oh, well, I, I enrolled in this discipleship program. He's like, no, no, no. What are you doing? What diet or what changed in your life? You look incredible. And I had, you know, aged two or three years. And I was like, I don't know, man. I stopped drinking a fifth of scotch each night and weed and cigarettes. I mean, I, I think that has some impact on it. And I'm, I'm, I'm walking with God. 
Looks like you're still doing the same thing. And it's God had changed the appearance of my face. I didn't know. I look in the mirror every day. But two years removed, they were like, what are you, you're on some miracle diet. And all it was is I started walking with God according to his word and with his people. And my face was radiant. And the hardness of my face changed. Now, lest you think I look great, last night I was reading a storybook to my little year and a half old son. And the author is this like 65-year-old bald guy. And there's a picture of him. And uh, I turn the page, and he's like, apples. I turn the next page to the author book, and he goes, daddy. <laughs> I was like, who taught you that? <laughs> I go, what? Daddy. He did it again. I was like, you're going to bed without milk. <laughs> this happens in Regen all the time. Guys come over, like slumped over. They hate themselves. They hate each other. They don't want to be there. And then three months in, They've trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And some of you guys can attest to this. You walk into the group and they're giving each other bear hugs. They're hanging out afterwards, even though they don't have to for like an hour. Let's go grab dinner. They hang out on the weekends. They're full of joy. The difference between the first time guests at newcomers at Regen to celebration night in one year is radical. And in fact, at step 12, we have them go back to the very beginning and sit in on that night. And they're like, Oh my goodness, look what Jesus has done. He had just made their faces radiant. They're walking with him. That's what verse one is. Verse two through five. So I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. We're to keep the king's command. The king is under God's authority. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause. For he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. This is man under God's authority. The first was man under, I'm sorry, man under God's authority was the first. This is man under man's authority. So God has placed every authority on earth under submission to him. And no authority exists except which God has created. That's straight from Romans 13. Romans 13 is a greater exposition on this passage here about the authority that man has over this earth and world that we are under. And so that looks like a few different things. That's the authority of governments, whether they are good governments or evil governments. It's from Kim Jong-un to Angela Merkel to Assad in Syria to Putin to Obama and whoever is under, whoever is over authority, God has put those in authority to rule. And this passage says, it will go well with us to submit to their authority. If we get out of line, Romans 13 says, they do not bear the sword for no reason. And the wicked should fear. Those who go out of bounds, who do not keep the king's command, will come down hard on. You know, in North Korea, they'll kill you and feed you to the dogs. And so we're under the authority of the government, supremely federally and also locally with police officers. I used to be terrified of cops, truly. I would like see them, even when I was sober as an as a alcoholic, but when I was sober, I'm like, you know, 10 and 2, speed limit, like checking everything, just paranoid. And I didn't like them. I didn't want to be around them because I was in the wrong. I was like, if I get a breathalyzer, drug test, maybe I've got weed in the car, 
They, they were, I was afraid of them because I was an evil, wicked man. Now I love them. I see them here. I shake their hand. How can I pray for you? I thank them. The authority that God has placed over us. But it's not just government. It's also church. In Hebrews 13, it says that we are under the, if you're a member of a church, you're under the authority of the elders and pastors of that church. And that's a great thing. They're shepherds who are keeping watch over your souls to care for you and lead you so that we don't go into ways of harm for us or our families or our friends, that we would um, follow God and that they would help to shepherd us, the authority of the church, also the authority of family. You see in Ephesians 5 and 6, the role of husband and wife, the man being the leader, servant, leader of the church, the wife in submission to him, the children in submission to the parents, so that it would go well with all of them. And also one that sometimes we don't like the most here because we're, we're men, we're leaders, we want to be independent and self-sufficient. We're under the authority of our masters at work. Our work relationships and those who serve above us, we are under their authority per the word of God. In Titus chapter two, in Ephesians six, all throughout the scriptures, God talks about this slave-master relationship And a slave at that time would have put himself under the subjection of that master for provision. That's the likeness of what we have now with an employer-employee relationship. It goes well with us to be under the authority of man. Man under sin's authority. This is verse 6 through 9. But there's time and way for everything. You know what, I'm going to skip through part of this passage, but I'm going to read this one verse. It says, no man has the power to retain the spirit or the, day, or the power over day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. There's authority of God, authority of man, authority of sin. Prior to Christ, this is chilling. If you've not trusted Christ, I have news for you. You are a slave to sin and a slave to Satan, taken captive to do his will which is a great reason to talk to your summit leader or me afterwards to know how can I be free from that. It says that prior to Christ, we are slaves to sin, slaves to Satan, but that because of Christ, in Romans 6, it says we were crucified with him, baptized into his death, so that that old slave to sin would be raised again to walk in newness of life. Here it says those given to wickedness are under its control and wickedness will not deliver them. But in Christ, we are free and no longer slaves to sin. Now we're slaves to Christ, slaves to righteousness that leads to life and peace. We've been set free from slavery to sin. Sin has no longer any authority over us. But yet, as a believer, if you still give yourself over to sin, willingly, not out of slavery, but willingly, saying, I know what you said, Jesus, but I love that sin, I love the, the, the pleasures and measures and treasures of the flesh, so I'm going to pursue that. It says that we grieve and quench the Holy Spirit, and that what happens if we do that repeatedly, again and again and again, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul writes this by the Holy Spirit. He says, Those, there is a man so given over to his flesh, he's pursuing the sin in an unrepentant way. He says, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. This is a member of the church in Corinth. He says, church of Corinth, pastors there, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, meaning let sin run its course so badly until he dies. 
that his soul would be saved on the last day. That's what happens. We're no longer slaves to sin, but if we willingly give ourselves over to it, it will lead to death. And that passage also says we're not to have fellowship with believers who say, yeah, I know what the Bible says. I know what God says. I know that I'm not a slave to sin, but I love it. It says with such a person who calls himself a brother, don't even share a meal with him. Because there's no fellowship between light and darkness. And we're to let them experience that sin like the prodigal son. If that's what you want, go get it. And you'll realize there's no life there. And when you're ready, we'll be here to love you as we walk collectively with the Lord. Slide two, the motive of man. Before it was the authority of man, now is the motive of man, verses 10 through 13. Three points, wickedness has an end, wickedness spreads, and then a choice for us. Based on that, you wanna be wicked or you wanna be well. Verse 10, then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such implied wicked things. This also is vanity. Guys, right here, this is one of the most disturbing passages in the Bible. It says, then I saw the wicked buried. And if you just read over that and thought, well, yeah, good, they got what they deserved. The wicked die, good. They can't do wicked anymore. Then I saw the wicked buried. That means their fate is sealed in hell for eternity where the flame does not go out and the worm doesn't die and they will be tormented by demons forever an eternal death, eternity. Then I saw the wicked buried. And all of us in this room have friends who are wicked, that are apart from Christ. And if we're just waiting, you know, maybe the right time, it's not the right time to share Christ. It's not the right time to invite them to lunch with nothing to do with work, but to talk to them. Can I tell you what Jesus has done for me? They will die. You'll show up to work one day. Hey, where's Tom? Oh, you didn't hear? You'll see an ambulance in front of your house. You will see the wicked buried. And their fate will be sealed. You have the one thing, Jesus, that can help them cross over from death to life. Then I saw the wicked buried. But wicked does end. And it should move us to share the gospel. Verse 11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Y'all, we're living this. This is America. This is the state of America. Because the sentence is not carried out quickly, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. This began with this freedom revolution in the 60s. We've had 50 plus years of it. And now our country is on this runaway train where we have turned morality on its head and we're now the crazy ones. And those who are immoral are being celebrated. I mean, turn on your TV and don't lust after what you see. Don't long for what you see, but pray that we would repent from what you see. And this didn't happen overnight. This isn't because the Supreme Court justices voted in gay marriage. It's not because five states have voted for euthanasia. We'll determine when they die, not God appointing the day of death. It's not because of legalized drugs. It's not because of the rampant abortions, five times the number of the Holocaust. This began because we didn't disciple our children. This began because we didn't discipline in the church. And we just said, come on Sunday, pay tithe. 
oh, kids, it's okay, just watch TV. We're not going to raise you. We're not going to discipline you. We're certainly not going to spank you because that would be child abuse, even though God says, spare the rod, hate the child. And so we got 50 plus years of no sentence being executed speedily. Thus, the heart of America is fully given to evil. And when we raise our hand and say, I don't think that's right, they're like, you're a hater, you're intolerant, you're not loving. Jesus said love. Yeah, Jesus loved, but it was never void of truth. And so the woman caught in adultery, he loved with grace and truth. And he says, woman, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. It's the same with us. I had friends that posted the multicolored, the gay White House on their Facebook profile, Christians that did it. And I said, you can't, you can't do that as a Christian. You're confusing all of your thousands of friends who know you're a Christian by your profile and see you celebrating now immorality. And they're like, why? Love. Jesus said love. We're supposed to love those and embrace them. That's how we're supposed to do this, right? And I said, you are celebrating the very thing that they will stand before the judgment of God. And so for you to say, good for you, because they're getting what they want in this life, and ultimately we stand before God and, and face judgment because of those sins, you're holding their hand straight down a path of hell. Rather, we're to shepherd 1 Corinthians 13, the epitome of love. If the world wants to say, y'all are supposed to love, that passage says love does not delight in unrighteousness. We're grieved by that, but we don't condemn them. We tell them about Jesus. People are just doing what they do apart from Christ. They have no re- That's also 1 Corinthians 5. Of course, people are doing all those things. I did them apart from Christ. I loved them apart from Christ. But now we shepherd others to the light and to life that is in Christ because we know those things lead to death. The motive of man. And then finally, the passage just wraps up and he says, hey, just because a man sins a hundred times and he doesn't receive discipline for it doesn't mean that we should chase after him, after them and the wickedness too. We don't follow just because there are no consequences. And our, in slavery... Not bondservant biblical slavery, like willingly following Christ, but indentured, no, not even indentured, and taken against your will slavery. Think sex trafficking, think American slavery, where people were taken forcefully against their will. Those slaves are obedient, or were obedient, but it was out of fear. Specifically, it was out of fear of consequences. We're not slaves, we're sons, and sons follow out of love. Sons follow a father because of love. Slaves follow because of fear and fear of consequences. Sons follow because of love. We're obedient because of love, not because of fear of consequences, which is what this passage says right here. It'll be well with us because we fear God, verse 12. And finally, if we are under authority and this world is given to wickedness, then what's the answer? And it's the last passage here in 14 through 9-1. We don't have time to read through all of it, but I'm going to give you three points. This is God's message to man. He says, hey, I know you're under authority, and sometimes that authority is difficult to be under. I know that there's wickedness, and so here's my answer to you, church. Here is the hope that you can have in this. And the first verse is correcting karma. 
He says basically there's a vanity that takes place on earth. There's righteous people who get the wicked they don't deserve. They get the deeds of the wicked. And then there's wicked and they get what the righteous seem to deserve. And he says all this is vanity. Harold Kushner wrote a book and he said, why do bad things happen to good people? And Harold Kushner wasted every single page of that entire book because it was based on a wrong premise. He said, why do these bad things happen to good people? And I would say to Harold, you're terribly mistaken because you haven't read Ecclesiastes prior to this where there's not anyone who is righteous. There are no good people. We're all bad. The question should be, why do good things happen to bad people? That should be the question. We say, oh, life's not fair. You're right, it's not fair. We all deserve eternity in hell. We don't deserve anything. Because of our sin, we should be starving to death and dying until we meet eternity in hell. But because we serve a gracious, loving, forgiving, kindness leads us to repentance, God, he sends the rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. He gives them good that they might find life and say like, where's this coming from that they would find this wonderful God? Verse 15 says, uh, basically eat, drink, and be joyful. And he's just said, I know you're under authority and some of that authority is harsh and I know that wickedness prevails, so eat, drink, and be joyful. And it's like, really? That's hard. It's why they put chocolate bars in combat MREs in the military so that there can be a moment of enjoyment and peace amidst mayhem. And God says the same thing, like I've given you food, I've given you drink, I've given you even companionship, that even in the midst of this crazy world, you've got Christians, brothers and sisters to walk with, that you can have joy in the midst of these trials. And we're in America, I mean, we've, this is a whole different situation than some of our brothers and sisters in Syria, Egypt and otherwise. And then finally, in the last passage, he says, basically, uh, it's, it's really difficult And you're going to ask why, why, why this difficult scenario? And the answer is don't ask why, ask how. Instead of why God, why would you allow this? The answer for us is, all right, how God, how would you have me walk through this in a way that honors and glorifies you, that the world would see peace and joy in the midst of these trials and afflictions and the wickedness around? Not why God, but how, humbly, how God? Would you like for me to walk through this? We have two pictures from our honeymoon hanging in our house. Just two. From our honeymoon hanging in our house. They're not from the resort. The two pictures are from that crazy catamaran cruise. Because I was with my best friend. It was a miserable waste of time around miserable people. But I was with Laura. So we got a great selfie took a picture on a boat dock and they're now hanging in our house. And y'all, that's what this passage is about is I know this world's difficult. I know there's wickedness around. I know you're under difficult authority at times, but you have got your savior and Lord walking with you and your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're not alone. And we will one day look back on this in eternity to come. We'll have those pictures be like, it was good because we walked with God and with others. You guys have questions for your small group time? Use them intentionally. Speak up and let the Spirit of God lead you. Have a great morning.